This morning we get uh, to a passage in 1 Corinthians that is very, very popular, and it's probably the most popular part of 1 Corinthians. It's kind of the chapter everyone tends to know. One of the reasons it's very popular is because it is often used in wedding ceremonies. So if you've been to a wedding, maybe your wedding, this was probably read or referenced at some point in the ceremony. And so I wanted to see like how popular among wedding ceremonies. So I went to David Bridal, David's bridal website, all right, and I checked, and it is the most popular wedding passage of all time. Not like one, it's the most popular one ever used, all right? So it's very popular, uh, and, bo- and both Christians and non-Christians love it, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You love the way it sounds. It's all poetic. It sounds beautiful. So it always fits well into a wedding ceremony. Now, some of you, you know exactly what chapter I'm talking about. You already know where we're at. Some of you don't know anything about how it's used in weddings, but you're just smart enough to follow along in the series, and you're like, yep, I know where you're at. So we're at chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage we're going to look at. And like I said, most of us know a little bit about this passage because of the way we use it. Uh, We tend to use it for marriage and for weddings and things like that. But a lot of times we don't really understand what Paul is getting at. We don't really understand the the broadness and the richness of this passage. And I think a lot of our opinions of it could be summed up in this clip. Watch this. Horrible wedding cliches. We're not going to touch with the 10-foot limbo pole. (laughs) Well, like, like 1 Corinthians, that Bible verse... They do that at everybody. How's it go? Uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you know that clip, you know what's coming next, but it would, it would steal what I'm trying to do here. So uh, you can fill it in later. But, um, but, but most of us are one of those two people, right? Like maybe we're like Marshall, that we, we love this passage and we can quote it and we can say it and it sounds beautiful and we, just, and we think it's great. But we, we don't often realize it is so much more than just a marriage or a wedding. So it means so much more. Or maybe you're like Barney and you're like, you know what? I think it's overused. It's cheesy. It's lame. If that's you, you probably shouldn't say that you're in church, but you can think that, right? Like you might be there. But either way, no matter who you are, honestly, I think we just don't understand really what God is trying to communicate to us in this passage. I think the other thing we often forget, and that causes some of this, is we forget its context. We forget where this is in the context of Scripture, particularly in the context of 1 Corinthians. And so when you think about 1 Corinthians, remember, this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth, and the church is a dumpster fire, right? The church is a mess. I mean, there's lawsuits, there's sexual morality, they're abusing spiritual gifts, they're abusing communion. I mean, this church is a dumpster fire. And that thing, spiritual gifts, we've been talking about that over the last few weeks because that is a major area this church was falling apart, that they were abusing spiritual gifts, And Paul says, you know what? You are a dumpster fire. You need fix. What's going to fix it? I got the answer for you. And that's in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I remember I had a Bible college professor when I was in college, and he would always tell us context, 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 because he wanted us to know whatever you're reading in the scriptures, you got to know the context. And so Apostle Paul, he's been spending, or he will spend three chapters on spiritual gifts, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. And we talked about 12 already. We'll get to 14 next week. But right in the middle, there's 13. 
And it almost feels like Paul takes a little bit of a detour and just starts talking about love. And then next week he picks up on spiritual gifts, but that's really not what he's doing. So think about it this way. Uh, let's say you're, you're, you're sitting on your couch late one night, you're binging your favorite show. I'm currently binging How I Met Your Mother, which is why that clip came to my mind. So you're binging your favorite show at night and you're like, man, I need a snack, right? Like I'm craving a snack and you all have those snacks you crave, right? Those things we probably shouldn't eat at 1030 at night, but they're so good and we do it anyways. We all have them, right? Well, one of mine is Oreos. So give me a big old stack of Oreos give me a big old glass of milk and let me just dunk that bad boy over and over and I'm good. That's good stuff. But when you think about an Oreo, like really think about an Oreo, it's just two cookies held together by some stuffing. All right. And that stuffing is so good. You can get double stuff, right? Because that's the best part of the Oreo. And I did find, I looked online, you can get mega stuff now. So if you want more stuffing, there you go. Uh, But that stuffing is what holds that Oreo together. Like without that stuffing, the Oreo falls apart. It is vital to the Oreo. Now what Paul is doing, in a sense, he's given us like a spiritual gift Oreo right now in first Corinthians. Like he has these two chapters on spiritual gifts and in the middle he puts love. And what he wants us to see is this, that love holds this whole thing together. That if you want to know how to use your spiritual gift, spiritual gifts properly in the church, if you want to make sure you don't abuse spiritual gifts, if you want to make sure there's not division over spiritual gifts, what's going to hold it together? Love. That, that any, everything and anything is held together by love, including spiritual gifts in the church. And so that's what Paul is going to focus in on in this chapter is love in the context of using our gifts and serving one another in the church. So in light of that, Paul's going to give us three things. He's going to show us three things about love. He's going to show us the necessity of love. He's going to show us the expression of love, and he's going to show us the permanence of love. All right, so necessity, expression, and permanence. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's start with the necessity. And so Paul begins by telling us that love is necessary, that we got to have love. And he begins this in chapter 12. And you're like, Austin, I think we're in chapter 13. Well, here's the thing. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he didn't have chapter breaks, right? Like he didn't write chapter 12, take a break, and then do chapter 13. He didn't do that. He wrote one gigantic letter. Now we came in later and added breaks, verses, chapter breaks, all that good stuff. And sometimes they didn't always fall at the right spot. And this is kind of one of those instances. So when you back up to chapter 12, this is how Paul ends that chapter. And he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so think back to last week. If you're here, Pastor Jared talked about using our spiritual gifts in the church that we're one body. And just like the body have different, has different parts, one, some of you are the arm, some of you are the leg, you have different gifts, but when we all work together and we all do our part, we function as one body. And Paul's been telling us in this last chapter, hey, get to know your spiritual gift, know what it is, use your gift, function properly in the church so it can be one body. But he says there is something more important than that. He says there is even a still more excellent way. There's something even more important than knowing your spiritual gift. There's something more important than even using your spiritual gift. And Paul says the answer is love. That's way more important. And that's what he gets into in chapter 13. So let's pick it up, starting in verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain 
nothing. So Paul's saying, hey, okay, love is necessary. You've got to have love. And, and he's saying it's a necessary ingredient to our lives and also as we serve in the church. And Paul here, I mean, he gives some pretty impressive things. He says, you know what? For an example, let's say I could do all these things. He says, let's say I could speak with the most beautiful tongues of men and of angels, right? Like he's kind of hinting here at this spiritual gift of tongues that this Corinthian church was divided over. And he said, let's just say I showed up and I had the best tongues ever, right? And I spoke these beautiful tongues. And he says, maybe I have all these prophetic powers and I understand mysteries and knowledge and I have all faith even to remove mountains. And then he says, what if I give everything that I have, including my own body to be burned? He says, what if I did all that stuff? I would look super spiritual. I would look really impressive. I would look like I'm doing the right thing. But he says, if I do all that stuff without love, I am nothing, right? He says, you become useless noise, right? Loud, annoying, empty, clinging symbols, right? That's all it becomes. He says, if I do all these things, but I don't have love, I become nothing. I gain nothing. So what Paul is saying is you can do the right things, You can be doing all the right things. You can be doing some very spiritually impressive things. But if you don't do it with the motive of love, you fall short. You fall very short. And this passage makes us wrestle with that. It makes us wrestle with motives. That that motives are a tricky thing, right? Like it's hard sometimes to discern why we do what we do, right? Motives are hidden. Motives are kind of these weird things. And so we don't always know why we're doing what we're doing. But Paul says when it comes to serving, you got to make sure you have the right motive. If you're going to do the right things, make sure you also have the right motive, and the motive should be love. So think about it this way. I know if you're a parent, uh, you'll understand this. If you're not, you'll just get ready. It's, uh, it's, it's hard, as Jared said. But uh, think about this. When, when, you're, when your kids get into that stage where you start saying, hey, go do this or don't do that, and, and you say, hey, let's say, uh, can you take your shoes to your room? And they just look at you and go, no. It's awesome. It's so cool as parents. You're like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. Like, they just say no. Uh, but, but then you enter the stage, and this is the one we're in with my kids right now, is uh, you, you say, hey, can you go take your shoes to your room? And they go, yeah. And you're like, oh, sweet. But then they go, and they're like stomping, and they're like, this is stupid. And they throw their shoes in there, and they barely get them in the room. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, thank you for doing what I asked. Thank you for doing what I said. But your attitude was terrible. Like, your motive was so off. And as a dad, I, I'm happy they listened to me and put the shoes in the room. But, but what I'm not happy about is their motive was way off and their attitude was way off. I care way more about the motive and how they're doing it and why they're doing it than the fact that they're doing it, honestly. And I think as God's children, how often do we do the same thing? Like how often do we externally say and do the right things? Like God says, serve. We're like, yep, God signed me up. I'm going to serve. And maybe you're obeying God and you're trying to be obedient to him. But honestly, on the inside, your motive is not love. Your motive is not to do it because you love him and you love others. And so it might look like you're doing it, but your motive is off. And Paul says the motive of love is necessary. And so let's apply this to our church. And so Paul's talking about serving. So let's apply it directly to serving. And I want to ask you this question. What's your motive when you're serving here at our church? Or what's your motive for serving at our church? Now, this question assumes you're serving. So if you're not serving, here's your application. You should serve, all right? Uh, So after the service, if you're not serving, I would encourage you, your application is go to one of the welcome kiosks, talk to the person there. We want you to serve. You need to serve. 
go make that happen. But we have a, an army of people here that serve and we appreciate it. And so for you guys, what is your motive? What's your motive? Let me give you some wrong answers first and then we'll get to the right answer. Maybe, uh, maybe your answer is this, to be seen to, by others, that you just want to look really impressive. Like you want to serve and you want to maybe serve in certain spots in the church that people see you and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're so great. Thank you for everything. And you just want all that. You want that attention. And maybe you see that volunteer of the month video we post online and you're like, oh, that's my goal. Like if I'm the volunteer of the month at Redemption, I've achieved success, right? Like millions of people are going to watch it on Facebook. Like, no, not millions, I promise. Uh, it's not going to happen. But, but you want to be seen, right? And if that's your motive for serving, that's a wrong motive. That's a wrong motive. Uh, maybe, you know, this is, this is funny after I told you you should serve, but maybe your motive is you just want to make the church staff happy. All right, so we, we're always bugging you like, hey, can you serve, like step up and serve? And we're always asking people to serve. And you're like, I just want to get them off my back. Like, I just want them to stop asking. So I'm going to serve, right? If that's you, thank you. We appreciate that. But uh, that's not a great motive, right? That's not really the heart. Or maybe it's to build your spiritual resume. That one day when you stand before the Lord, you want to you have an impressive resume that you can roll out and be like, man, look at all the stuff I did. Look at all the ways I served in the church. I, I was a deacon here. I served at a women's study table. Or man, I was a men's Bible study circle leader. And I did all these things. I did parking. Even in the rain, it was fun, right? Like I did all these things. And you want to build your spiritual resume. That's not a good motive. And maybe it's this, and this is probably the worst motive of all. Maybe the motive is you're trying to earn God's love. And let me just tell you, if you are trying to earn God's love through serving, you're not going to do it. You're going to wear yourself out doing that. You can never serve enough at our church to ever earn God's love. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because he already loves you. And if you're a Christian, hear that, right? I need to hear that. He already loves you. He already is crazy about you. He has already given his very son's life to redeem you and to bring you into relationship. He loves you wildly. There's nothing you can do to earn that love. It's already been given to you through Jesus. And so if you're serving at our church because you're trying to get brownie points with God, stop it because you're not gonna earn it, right? He already loves you. And so serve because he has already loved you and you wanna to respond to that. Don't try to earn his love. That's not gonna happen. And so what's the right answer? Like what is the right answer to that question? And you should already know it because it's so clear in the passage, it's love. The motive that, that should, that thing that should motivate us to serve is love, that we love God and we love other people. Right, The reason you serve in Kids Zone, the reason you serve in the parking team, the reason you hold a door, the reason you cut donuts, the reason you serve in the women's or men's ministry, the reason you do that is because you love God and you love his people and you want to love the people in our church. That's the only motive we should have. And so maybe that is your motive already. And if it is, praise God. And I would tell you, pray and ask God to protect you because your heart will often shift to another motive and maybe one of those wrong motives I've already mentioned. So pray and ask God to protect you. And if that's not your motive, let's say your motive is you're trying to earn God's love or you're trying to be seen by others, then you need to go to God and repent of that and say, God, I'm sorry for having this motive of pride. I'm sorry I'm trying to earn your love. God, change my heart. Help me to serve out of love. Because Paul says it's necessary. And so Paul said, okay, you, you need to understand having the motive of love is absolutely necessary, especially when we're talking about serving in the church. But he doesn't want to leave us hanging. He also wants us to know, okay, this is what love looks like. So you need to know it's necessary. But he says, I want to show you what it looks like when you start to express that love. And he continues 
like this in verse 4. He says, love is kind, or love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I about pulled Marshall back up to read that for us because he read it so well. Uh, but uh, that is probably the, the part of this passage, like I said, everyone knows fairly well. And it sounds beautiful. It's a great section of scripture that really does talk about the expression of love. But I think sometimes we're so familiar with it that we really miss what it's communicating, that we really miss what Paul is saying about love. And so I want to help you understand a few things about love from this passage. First, love is directed outward away from oneself, right? In that passage, you might have saw it. Paul says, love does not envy or boast. It's not about yourself. He says, love does not insist on its own way. So love is not about getting your way. It's about getting, helping someone else get what they need, right? Getting their desires met. And so love is always directed outward. And that's very hard in our culture, right? Because we live in a culture that says, love yourself, treat yourself, right? Take care of yourself. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. Like self-care is good and it's needed. It's a part of humanity and, and that's good, right? But, but that's not what love is. Love is directed outward towards someone else. That is what true love is. And that leads to this next one, that love is not a feeling, but a decision that leads to action, right? If, if you want to know that's true, just get married, all right? It is, right? Like the feeling wears off, I promise, right? Uh, if you're in the honeymoon phase, enjoy it, uh, but it will, it will wear off, right? So love is not a feeling. If you think love is a feeling, it is going to fade, right? It's not a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a decision to, to love someone else, to, to put your love towards them, right? It is not a feeling. Think about God, right? God decided in eternity past to put his heart and love us, right? To put his heart on us, to set his heart on us, to love us, and because he made that decision, he acts accordingly to that decision. He sent Jesus to die. He redeems, he pursues, he loves us. He does all that. Why? Because he has decided to love us. And in the same way, love is us deciding to love someone else. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that shows itself in actions. And then this, love is not a checklist, but a lifestyle to live out. So when I read a passage like this, this is very easy for me to fall into. So if you're an Enneagram fan, uh, you might know this. I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I love a good checklist, right? Like I live and operate on a checklist. If you're, who's with me? Who's my checklist people? Yes, God loves you more, I promise, right? Uh, but uh, it is a checklist. That's the way we work. So uh, I can read a passage like this and be like, okay, Love is patient, like, all right, I can kind of check that one off. Love is kind, like, eh, halfway, like, like, I can check it off. I see it as a checklist. And some of you will do that. And, and here's the thing, when we do that, a couple of things to remember. First, you're never going to be able to check all those things off. Like, you will not. Like, we're too jacked up and sinful to, to check all those off. Like, we will not. Maybe some, but not all. And then let's just say, for an example, God miraculously gives us the ability to keep all those things and to do them perfectly. Here's the bad news we're not going to do it forever. Like we're going to screw up eventually, right? Like probably tomorrow. Like we're not going to be able to maintain all those things. And so it's not a checklist. Paul's not saying follow these and check them off as you go. What he's saying is this is a lifestyle to live out. Like when you read love is patient, love is kind, don't view it as items you got to do. View it as a lifestyle of someone who has been loved by Jesus. And now you're going out and loving people 
the same way. It's a lifestyle to be embraced. And that leads us to this one, is love is only fully lived out through Jesus. Love is only fully lived out through Jesus, right? If you think about this passage and you're like, man, loving people is hard. Like you don't, Austin, you don't understand the people in my life that I'm just struggling to love. And you're like, I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. The answer is, yeah, you can't do it. And it is hard. And you're not going to be able to do it on your own. But you know how you can do it? Through Jesus, right? Because Jesus lived this out perfectly, right? He was the perfect man. He lived, he expressed love. He lived out love 100% perfectly to its fullest extent. And the Bible says when you and I place our faith in Christ, he gives us his righteousness, So that means now that that love that he fully lived out, he gives that righteousness to us. And so through him, through walking with him, through having a relationship with him, we can then go out and love people the way he calls us to do. He's our only hope. And many commentators will mention that when you read this section of 1 Corinthians, what you're really seeing is a great expression of the life and ministry of Jesus. That if you read the Gospels, you see over and over Jesus perfectly living out love in all of his life and ministry. And we are to follow his example and we are to use him to be our strength as we do that. And so Paul says, okay, this is what love is. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go back to that passage and I want you to think about a few different things. Because often, like I said, we read this and we think marriage. And that's good. If you're married, like, please apply this to your marriage. Love your spouse that way. That is very, very important. But we often get so focused on the marriage piece that we forget This is how we should love in a lot of other contexts as well, in a lot of other relationships and connections. So let me give you a few to think through, all right? The first one is our congregation, right? Paul's talking to a congregation here in Corinth. So when we read this, like, let's think about Redemption Chapel, us as a congregation. Are we loving one another like that? Are we patient? Are we kind? Is there envy? Are we boasting? Are we rude? Are we arrogant? Are we insisting on our way? Like, are we living out this? Because this is for us in a body of Christ to operate in. And this is important for us to remember. If you call this your church home, hear me out. We are growing. And that's a a great thing. We're blessed by God that he's growing us right now. And with growth means change and flexibility. And people love change and flexibility, right? Like, I get it. And so so you're going to have a Sunday. You're going to come in and guess what? Someone's in your seat. Oh, crap. What do you do? Right? Hint, you don't have a reserved seat unless you're in the pastor's seat. And that's kind of odd that we have reserved seats. But, uh, but you don't have a reserved seat, right? So if someone's in your seat, what do you do? You're patient. You're kind. You put them before yourself. You give it up. Who cares? Go sit somewhere else. Or maybe you drive in and the parking lot's crazy, right? And you can't find a parking space or, or traffic. It takes forever to get in or out. Are you patient? Are you kind, right? Are you not irritable, right? Don't beep your horn. That's not a good thing. Don't do that. All right? Like, are you living this out in our congregation? Another group, think about even smaller. Think about your community group, your men's Bible study circle, your women's Bible study table, whatever group you find yourself in within our church. Are you going to that group with this kind of love in mind? Are you going with like, what can I get out of this group? What, how, what can they do to serve me? What can they do to give me what I need? Are you going to your group and saying, you know what? I'm going to love those people. And I'm going to bless those people. And I'm going to serve those people. Is this describing your involvement in those groups? So let's think outside the church for a minute. Let's go to your coworkers, right? Who has the best coworkers ever? Half of mine are in the room, so I have to raise my hand, right? Like most of you are like, ah, I don't like my coworkers. So I get it, right? Like 
You have coworkers, I'm sure, that annoy you at times, and it's probably hard, but are you loving them this way? Are you expressing love to them the way the Bible tells us we should? And then think about this, your enemies, right? Those people you consider your enemies. The Bible says, love your enemies, and then the Bible here tells you this is what love looks like. This is what true love is. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, that's what he's telling you to do. And that's hard, because when your enemies screw up, you rejoice at wrongdoing, don't you? You're like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. No, that's not love. You don't rejoice at that. Are you loving your enemies? And I'll throw uh, one more at you. Um, and, and this probably for some of you gets into the enemy category, but uh, think about those who are a different political opinion as you. Uh, we get it as a church, just like our culture, uh, politics has divided many, many people. And you're sitting in a room right now with people that have very different political opinions as, as you. And you have people in this room, I promise you, that are on the, so far the other side that you're like, I can't talk to them. Like, I don't know why we're in the same church. Like, we are spread out, and that's fine. But the question is, are you loving those people? Are you patient? Are you kind? Right? When that person has a view that you think is just so bad and so off and so wrong, do you love them? Are you kind? Right? On social media, you might be kind of their face, but how do you talk about it on social media? Right? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you loving those who are different than you, even when it comes to politics? That's an important one. And so Paul is saying, okay, this is what it looks like to love, and you need to express that love in whatever human context you find yourself, marriage, work, church, family, all that. That's the kind of love we should have as followers of Christ. But then Paul's going to end the passage by reminding us this, that yes, love is necessary. Yes, this is how you express it. But you've got to remember that love is permanent, that it's going to stick around for a while. And so look at how he ends this chapter. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now this is one of those passages that Christians are divided on, that Christians debate, and if you read different Bible scholars, you're going to get a lot of different opinions on this, but this is one of those passages that we just differ. And so it really comes down to what Paul meant when he said, when the perfect comes. So for some people, they would say, okay, the perfect comes, that means the whole Bible, or that means when the church is matured or when the church has grown. And so because that stuff has happened, there's certain gifts like tongues and prophecies that are no longer operating today. But then you got people who say, okay, uh, I think the perfect comes means the second coming of Christ. And that hasn't happened yet. So that means all the gifts are operating. Now, you might be like nerding out like, oh, we're going to get into a theological debate. This is awesome. Sorry to bust your bubble. We're not going to do that. Why? Because that's not what Paul's trying to do here. Paul's not writing this passage to give us a tip 2,000 years later so we can settle the debate on when certain gifts cease or when they stop. Like, that's not his intention. You know what his point is? Is this, is that all spiritual gifts are temporary. Every single spiritual gift we have is temporary. It's not going to last. But you know what does last? We've been saying it all morning. Gosh, love, right? Like, yeah, like spiritual gifts are going to end, but love will go on 
forever. So think about this church again in 1 Corinthians. I mean, this is a church that was a dumpster fire, and one of the reasons they were so messed up is they were abusing spiritual gifts. So, so a lot of them wanted this flashy gift of tongues so they could look really spiritual. And then some had gifts that were, they considered higher than other gifts and they were putting people down and it was causing division and gossip and it was just ugly. And Paul wants them to know, hey, this thing you're arguing about, this thing you're debating, this whole thing you're splitting over called spiritual gifts, it's not going to last. But you know what will? Love. And you're neglecting that. You're focusing on the temporary. Instead, you need to focus on the permanent, which is loving one another. And how often do we do the very same thing in our church today? Like maybe it's not spiritual gifts we're debating or or dividing, but how many times in our churches across this world do we get so hung up on temporary things? Like we gossip and we split and we back and we just backstab and there's division and there's ugliness in the church because we're arguing over things that are just not that important, things that are not going to go into eternity. And when we do that, what we're doing is neglecting the one thing Paul says to do and the thing that's going to last into eternity, which is loving one another. And so think about heaven for a minute, right? When we get to heaven, when we get to the new earth, we're not going to be up there using our spiritual gifts. Like the whole point of spiritual gifts is to point people to Jesus, to build up the church, to build faith. You're not going to need that when you're in the presence of Jesus, right? And so spiritual gifts are going to go away, but you know what's going to last in heaven when we're sitting there with Jesus and we're walking together on the new earth is love. Love for God and love for others. One commentator summed it up like this. This is a great quote. He says, love will will ever remain the interpersonal currency of heaven. It will characterize the relation between God and God's created beings. Habituated attitudes and acts of love will survive as part of God's celestial glory. So when we get to heaven one day, it's not about spiritual gifts. What we're going to be doing is loving God and loving one another. And Paul says, hey, Corinthian church, Redemption Chapel, whatever church, listen up. Practice the thing that you're going to practice forever. Love. Practice that now because that is going to go with us into eternity. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to just kind of end with this. I know when we talk about something like this and I give you a passage like this, it's so easy to walk out of here and think, all right, I know what I need to do. I need to love better. I need to just pull up my bootstraps and just love people better. Good luck. It's going to last like an hour, right? Like it's not going to last. You need help. You need God to help you with this. And so I don't want you to walk out of here in in your own strength, try to do it. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a song we sing here at Redemption a lot. And you probably know this chorus, but it says this. And we're actually going to sing it here in a minute. So I'm going to have Gary come on out and we're going to respond in a moment. But the chorus of the song says, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. So what this song, I think, is so good as a response, and I hope it's our prayer this morning, is that we got to understand God is holy and we are not. Like, we need him. And if we are going to love each other in this body, if we're going to love the world around us the way the Bible says, we need him to fill us with his wonder and love. We need him to open our eyes up to who he is and what he's done for us, and we need him to fill us with the love that he can give. And then the result of that is we can then love each other as he leads us in that. And so as we respond, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand and let's sing that together and please sing it as a prayer. Let's ask God to help us do what he's told us to do.